What's going on, people? Welcome to the latest episode of the Jordan World Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Brown, Dane Allen, Uptown Jordan Brown, and last but not least, Big Buckets Brown. The last one doesn't count because I gave it to myself. But, like we start off every episode, how are you? You're good? Me too. I'm good too, man. This week, I'm excited. Uh, I feel like this episode is something that may kind of be a turning point with the show. I don't know. I mean, maybe you guys will like it, maybe you won't, but um I feel like it's one of those things where I um I reached out to my guest this week who is uh Joe, Big Joe Lewis from um over there at the Barber's Chair Net and he uh He's doing some big things, man. I just really like what I was seeing from himself and his his brother. You know, he's co-founder of the co-founder and co-owner of the Barber's Chair Network and co-host of the 79th and Hollis podcast. Um, I, I I met Joe when we were kids back in the day, and I think we were like we might have been like nine or ten years old. And Scott, his uh, older brother, was in the same class as me. We would hang out and we all just kicked it or whatever and. When I saw that they were doing Seven Nights in Hollis, I was like, man, like, this is pretty fucking dope. They they, they put something together that has uh, collected a following, and they've got people who they brought together and just did some big things. It was something that I felt like we kind of needed in our community a little bit, if you would say that. I felt like it was something that, you know... On a local level, as far as Chicago is concerned, they're doing big things as far as sports, culture, um, fashion, and, and even in, in music and all this stuff. You know, they got their network and they had writers that came together and different personalities and even got a uh, like a video barbershop show. And it's like the barber's chair is like um, I can't. Um, I can't stop complimenting these dudes, man. I mean, like, to put that together and to bring all those different types of people together and just make something that seems like it can be the next big thing is exhilarating. It's something that's really um, inspiring and and it's creative. You know, that's what the whole basis of the show is about for me is giving people the platform to come up and, and just really tell their story about their journey on the crea- creativity wave and doing new things and becoming the next big thing. Um, we talk a lot a, lo- a lot about just upbringing and different stuff like that, the journey for him with uh, school and different things like that and just how you can you can be headed down one path in life. And we even talk about like the darkest past. Like he say, he he mentions a classmate of his from college that's um that was in jail for twenty years. You know, and he just changed his life. You know, just well, once he got out of jail, he went to school. He he changed his life. He he went back to college and is getting his degree and everything like that. And pursuing being a lawyer, like you never know what life is going to throw at you. And we talk a lot about the generational shifts that we're seeing with our generation. As far as I guess we'd be millennials. I mean, or I'm on the tail end of that at thirty something right at thirty something years right now. Uh, about thirty. Wait, how old am I? Yeah, twenty nine. I'll be thirty next year. And um, we talk about how. 
a lot of the culture is going to change with our generation and then the generation after ours or the generation after that. Um, there's um, a lot of political talking here, so if you don't want to hear that, you can turn it off. But, I mean, hey, if you got this far, thanks for the play. Appreciate it. We need all the stats we can get. But um, we talk a lot about his uh, his divinity school and uh, graduate classes and stuff like that. And it's a lot of, like I said, political stuff, some, some, some there, some – some uh, cultural discussions from a lot of different things, man. I mean, I, I don't want to give too much of it away because I just want y'all to check it out. I just wanted to really get this episode out and have people check it out and see how the show is changing for me right now and, and why it's becoming more enjoyable. I um I didn't know where this was, this conversation was going to go because I knew that I wanted to discuss the things they were doing with the Barber's Chair Network and how that's growing and the support they're getting from, you know, just following them and the timeline is like they have actual interaction. They have people who are really checking them out from week to week. People who are tuning into their podcast that they have on there. I think they got about four or five, six different shows, maybe even more than that. And they're covering a lot of ground and, to be able to come together and say, this is what it is. Here's the plan. Let's execute with all this creative like juice and stuff flowing. That is commendable. You, you don't really see a lot of people come together out of nowhere and collectively push something. And not only to push something that's different, but... Something that you, 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 we talk about this too. You're coming in at the bottom of the totem pole, and you're, and you're gonna have to compete with the undefeateds. You're gonna have to compete with the bar stools. You're gonna have to compete with Bleacher Report and things like that. And then to say, fuck it, we're gonna try. No matter how difficult or how much of an uphill battle this seems like, we're gonna try it. And again, if you want to follow Joe, you can um, find him on um, what is it on Twitter at Flows Andolini F L O W S A N D O L I N I. This dude is doing some big things with his brother and the rest of the crew over there at Barber's Chair Network. Man, I, I, I like I said, I'm, I'm looking at the timeline right now, and it's just it's really cool to see people that you know doing some great things. It's really cool to see people that you know um, reaching out and trying to create a platform for other artists, you know, with writers and stuff like that. I think they one of the kids that I play Little League football with is writing for them right now. And I, I was just happy that they even let him on the site. You know, it, it was something that I knew he did, but I knew I wouldn't be able to help him out right now with just starting out with my show. But I knew that... Uh, that there was another opportunity out there for him. And then when I reached out to Joe, he was like, hell yeah, man, I'll be a part of this. I'll do this. I had saw Joe a couple of months ago at the Kendrick Lamar concert. and just like, man, I'm doing something. I don't know what it's going to be yet. I just know that I'll probably reach out to you, and hopefully you want to get on the show. But the bad thing about this episode, we referenced a lot to his, his older brother, Scott, and how he's kind of like the creative mastermind behind all this. Now, I hope one day maybe I can get Scott on the show. Uh, I'll probably reach out to him when he's in town. He's out there in L.A. doing his thing, so big ups to him. And he's just like, man, I um, I kind of hated that we couldn't get both of them on the show just to really 
get a feel for how they work together and put these things together. But Joe gives us a, a brief, like, you know, description of what's going on and, and what he does and how, you know, Scott is the one that kind of brought a lot of this together and pushed it. And this is why we do have something big like the Barber's Chair Network. I don't know. I keep saying it. I'm saying it because you can follow them on Twitter, too, at Barber's Chair Net. And get into all the personalities that like this is the thing, man. When people you know are putting together some pretty dope shit, and they got different personalities and making them work together, and like doing some like MTV type shit, like that shit is cool, man. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm just I'm not just ate some ice cream, kind of getting a sugar rush or something now. But uh, yeah, it's just like um, you uh, and that's real ice cream, no innuendos. But you just uh, you gotta appreciate. People letting people shine. You got to appreciate people shining and doing their thing, man. And we talk about a lot of different things. So be sure to subscribe and review. You know, follow the page on IG and Twitter at It's Your World Pod underscore. And um, yeah, subscribe, review, man. And check out the website too. If you want to reach out, do that as well. But let's start the show. I mean, dude, just, like, I started every episode off, bro, just like, what do you do, Joe? I don't even know what you, what you want to be called. Flo's Angelini, Flo's Eric Dyson. You know, <laughs> I can actually go into why I was called Flo's because I used to rap. Oh, God. How was that? Terrible. <laughs> I was lying my ass off and rap. So I was a drug dealer. Like, this shit was whack. Just, but that's that's what they do. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. So, I, I, wanted, I you know, it's like, we all have homies who do it. So I'm like, well, shit. It looked like better than me, so let me talk like them. Really? So the name was Young Flows. Okay. And eventually, eventually, literally, people just start calling me Flows. My homies don't even call me Joe. I'm like, bro, I'm so used to it. I mean, I wrote a since I was like 14, so 14 years later, I'm still called Flows. So it stuck. It, yeah. As long as did you give yourself that name or did they? I get the rap name Young Flows, just full and, and they gave Young you Flows. Flows. And people just said, "All right, Flows." And okay, right. Yeah. So it's, that's a that's a legitimate nickname. I yeah. feel like if you got a nickname and you gave it to yourself, it really don't count. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, you know, the only one who knew who has a nickname is Kobe. Kobe named himself Black Mamba, and eventually, I mean, it's Kobe is Kobe. That's true. So regular niggas, it's not going. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, nah, man, just watching you guys from afar. And knowing you from we were shorties, like making inappropriate Bro, fart was, jokes, rated stimpy and shit. I was talking about us hooping the other day, and I was like, I couldn't remember the other tall dude on our team. I do. I remember that for some reason. I remember everything about. I, I remember it was James. And he had a brother, Will, Will, William. That William. was it. I think he was the tall one. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure you were the joke on our team. I had like one point the entire <laughs> my entire tenure. I was the thing though about that is it's funny because. When I would play at um, in grammar school with y'all, it's like I was just like, oh world, it's like I feel like y'all probably thought like, why is this nigga not like feeling himself all the I'll time? I'll be honest, when I saw you went to Miami, Ohio, mm-hmm. I was like, this nigga was a cold hooper. I didn't know you would be cold in football. So no, I was alright, man. That's a, that's what I say. But then again, a lot of people talk like if you play ball, they usually not too 
Like, I don't know how to explain it. Man, everybody, like, yeah, I'm a prison. I played in high school. So right. Every nigga in football swore they were a cold hooper. And so we would always play against Kiri's team. And this was right before Kiri got cold. Right. And we would just get destroyed. <laughs> but we would swear, like, we would do all the moves and then brick. It was, it was hilarious. I was just talking to my barber about that. Uh, we was talking about women's basketball. Mm-hmm. One of the guys, his daughter, is at St. Benedict's right now. I think that's up north. Mm-hmm. But she's, like, in seventh and eighth grade. And she getting recruited by all these high schools. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, them chicks can really play ball, man. Like, man. I remember being at Miami, like, freshman year. Mm-hmm. This one uh, one of my homegirls, she went to, like, TF North, I want to say. It was. Okay. And she was like, yeah, I hoop. I can play. It was like, man, she can't play. And she took us to the court. She was dribbling between her legs and shit. Mm-hmm. Like, they crossing everybody up. I was like, yeah, you can really play basketball. <laughs> Dude, I remember seeing Candace Parker play. Right? Uh, and um, it was, like, a school security? Man. I can't remember, but. She bought everybody up. And that's it. I was like really misogynist about it. I'm like, shit, we're going we to do better. Half these niggas talking to her. She killed everyone. But like, that's another one of the reasons why I want you to come on. Because it's like, I know there's a lot of stuff that we can talk about and mm-hmm. everything. And it's not even about being a misogynist or whatever, because that's just what culture is. And that's true. And that's what a lot of people don't want to admit. That's very like, true. We're really socialized to be that way. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I remember her seeing her play. I was in like seventh grade. Mm-hmm. This is when I left Hope. We, yeah. had, we all had to leave after sixth yeah, grade. Yeah, yeah. And she came and played at Providence A. Mill. She gave us like 30 something. <laughs> I'm like, damn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, man, it's just, like I said, watching you guys do Seven Nights in Hollis, I felt like that was a crazy idea. If y'all hear that in the background, that's the neighbor's dog. We're recording in our makeshift kitchen closet right now. And mm-hmm. appreciate you for coming, Joe. But um, Seven Night the Highlights, like, how did that idea come about? And what was, you know, something, what, what were the, what were the leading, leading into what y'all have created today? Uh, it was Scott. That's Scott cool. gave the idea. He, he texted me, like, when did we start? 2015? He texted me, like, hey, dude, we should start a podcast. I'm like, no. I'm going to do this 40,000 podcast. That's like, true. I, I don't want to be amongst everybody else. That's true. He's like, no, we're just going to focus on the Bears. I was like. Okay, that's mm-hmm. my speed. I know football in and out more than I know basketball than the other sport. Right. I said, fine. So we, uh, we said, okay, cool. And he was really more into it than I was. Mm-hmm. For even even when we started recording stuff at the house, he was still more into it than I was. I was like, yeah, this is cool. And then suddenly, but shoot, I was like, you know what? I, I enjoy talking about it. It felt like more of a release because we lost it so many times. I like, come on, it's like, well, Bears fans, we just got blown <laughs> out by 40. And so I was like, I enjoy doing it. But the making of the name, had to be something that resonated with us mm-hmm. and then resonated with the Bears. Mm-hmm. And me and Scott spent most of our life on 79. Um, and yeah, on 14 years, about half and half, 14 years or something like uh, The rest we spent 55th, 63rd, we moved around. Right. And so since we pretty much grew up there, I was like, we're going to put 79th and then Hollis for George Hollis. It immediately resonated right. with folks who live on the South Side, people know the Bears. Because that's the funny thing. Even though Scott would handle such the logistics and you know and the um, the advertisement, I came up with the names for everything. I came mm-hmm. with the name for Barber's Chair and Seventy Nine, and the only thing I attributed is just the, the name, the technical. So um, uh, we started that. <coughs> the logo was one another thing. I just was in Photoshop saying we got to find some sort of logo, and we made it. But we started recording, and people were listening. I don't know how I had 3,000 followers on Twitter. I've been on this since, like, 08. Right. And I just, I just randomly got followers. And so people would, we started putting on Twitter. People would listen, and then we started getting feedback. People would uh, tell us, you know, this is dope. This is dope. I said, okay, we're going to keep doing this. Feedback. 
And then we started integrating other sports, but that's like tiring because we only did it on Sunday. And right. basketball, baseball would be having games all week. It was tough to record, you know, to do everything. And so then last year, around July, I want to say, is when we said, okay, this is a lot to carry for Saturday mm-hmm. We're just going to do Bear stuff. And so we doing that for 2015, 14, and people kept liking it. We getting like sometimes a thousand plays, and we had homies, a homie amp, a homie amp who's a random acts of podcast. Okay, his podcast is actually just insanely popular. This dude gets like five thousand views per episode easily, and he would tell us like how you know do certain things. So he kind of like mentored us in that, and so then we got him on there, and then that kind of started to skyrocket right. the podcast. Um, we had a few other people. That's that's what really helped is getting people on there uh, who would contribute and who also bring a big audience. So yeah, that's just how Second Out the Hell started. But um, the one thing I wanted to really talk to about is just that what kept y'all going when you when you starting out and you don't really know mm-hmm. what you're doing in a way like you 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 it's just like picking up a skill. It's like okay, I can do podcasts. This is fun. All right, now how do we get the range? How do we mm-hmm. you know? reach different audiences and shit like that. Because I feel like when I listen to the calls, it's like, y'all got people calling from all type of different yeah. demographics and shit like that. Um, I love the best. We <laughs> just love the best. That's the, that's the main thing. Like, on Ball Don't Lie, uh, Scott and Pierce love... I love baseball. Mm-hmm. And basketball, I do love. Right. But I don't love as much as I love the Bears. So whenever we record a second the Hallis episode, I'm ready to go. Right. It's just, I love the Bears so much. It's just... You know how it is, baby. Just you brought up in loving the Bears. It's Chicago, man. You know, it's Jack. Even if you know you be separated by some folks, man. I watch the Bulls, mm-hmm. but everyone watches the Bears. If you were a Chicagoan and you watch some other team, it's really like it's sacrilegious. Right. And of course, you know <laughs> that's the bad part about it. It's like the Bears would be trash. And then I remember being in college, like you still a Bears fan? They that bad? I was like I'm from Chicago, dog. Like, like it's the every, only way. This is no other way. That's all you know. One of my homies was like, bro, you, it's easy for you to home. You got all these teams in Chicago. I'm like, yeah, but the Bears suck. And we have suck for We have to love them. We just love them. It's just, it's a part of us. And so the reason I kept going was because of the Bears, man. It's just, I, I love them. And so, and then people would, people would say, bro, what, if we didn't record one week and not say anything, people would tweet, yo, what's the episode? Mm-hmm. Bro? I said, okay, people actually want us to record. Right. I said, so now it's like, you kind of have an obligation. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's so fun to talk about it. Me and my brother, it's my True. brother. Right. And we, you know, you can talk about anything with him and we're just going to have a good time about it, so. Just liking the Bears. If I hated the Bears, I would hate to do it. And and, and that's another thing that I enjoy listening to the show and just listening to y'all talk. It's like, man, I don't remember us being shorty, just like talking about this stuff. Man. Not even knowing what we was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. now they seem like how everybody's older. It's like, oh, we actually making sense now. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, as, as a kid, I thought I knew so much about mm-hmm. football. I mean, I got into it. Um, first of all, I played was the Buccaneers. They was oh shit. You played with Coach Glenn now? Yeah, I didn't even know that, dude. Yeah, yeah, I played with Coach Glenn for a year, I and I got injured that. and said I'm done. That was the first time I played football. I played center. Um, who else played on that? It was a lot of people on the Buccaneers, and I got older and folks like, man, I was on the Buccaneers too. I was like, really? Yeah. And I was like, I kind of remember you on that, mm-hmm. but I played with them um, because the first team I ever watched was the was the Cowboys. It was the Buckeyes. Then the Bears, it happened as a kid. I didn't. It just it was right. part of it. But the first thing I paid attention to was the Cowboys, then the Buckeyes, and then the Bears. I was like, okay, I know a little bit about football, and I got I played football in the third grade or fourth grade with the Buccaneers. But I look at my perspective then, I knew nothing. It, it, I mean, that's all I knew how was it snap the ball, right? You know, snap the ball, I was in a snap the ball block, 
But you know, it would be uh, some sort of penalty. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I didn't understand. Right. And as an adult, I, there's no, I still realize this stuff I still don't know mm. about the game. But yeah, for sure. That, that's what's up, man. But Barber's Chair Digital. What did that idea? I'm kind of jealous of it because I was trying to do something similar to mm-hmm. that before. And I was like, man, the the thing that's admirable about what y'all got going on over there is, is, is one, it's a mix of a whole lot of different types of people, mm-hmm. a whole lot of different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's working swimming. Now, that could be from the outside looking mm-hmm. in, but it's just like that idea, how did that take off and... You know what? What put y'all in the in the space to be like? This is the next move for us. Definitely Scott again. <laughs> I give Scott credit because I was cool with seven at the house. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's fine for me. I love doing it. And then after July, when we said we're just gonna do bear stuff with seven at the house, um, he was like, "Yo, man, we should do another podcast on basketball." I said, "No." I was like, "I don't care enough about basketball right. for me to do it so many days a week." But then our homie Pierce, who Pierce has majored in journalism, this was his area of, uh, of study. We had already, he had, he came on a podcast often. Mm-hmm. If it was a special, like when D-Rose left, he came on a podcast. That was, that's our biggest podcast today on 7 at the House. Right. We just had a random special about D-Rose being traded. Us just screaming at the top of our lungs for an hour. Literally, in, like, 10 minutes after it happens. And we posted it on Twitter and posted it saying, oh, these, these, these dudes go off about D-Rose. And so, they had been talking about it. And mm-hmm. Scott came to us and was like, yo, I think we should start a website. I was like... Not bad. I'm like, but you just like podcasts? What you talk about? Right. He said podcast blogs. I'm like, bro, we not really bloggers like that. <clears throat> Pierce is the blogger. He's like, no, man, we gonna send our applications. We gonna ask people to send them applications, everything. Right. I said, all right. And so our homie Al Patron, Al underscore Patron on Twitter, he's veteran all this. He had um, uh, Opus Magazine. He started Opus Mag, which is another website. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also mentored us in that because him and Scott got got a. Uh, Became friends through uh, Twitter, and we became friends with him, and he taught Scott the game of how to do everything. Mm-hmm. And so, once he told Scott, and Scott brought the idea to us, I was like, that would kind of be fire. It would get us exposure, and then also, we could provide voices of the everyday person. It's like, we're like the, I'm like, I don't want to say the poor men's, but like the regular person's undefeated. LeBron, everybody's undefeated but, 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 it, but that's the thing, though, when you talk about this creative, like, renaissance that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Y'all, to me, it's not the same thing at all. No. I, 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 I understand the parallel between the two, but it's mm-hmm. like, dude, I get that part, too. It's just like, all right, it's the everyday person. It's mm-hmm. like, but then you guys are going to progress and then hopefully, you know, maybe surpass that. That's true. As and a then become, Right. You see what I'm and saying? somebody else will say that it's, the everyday person. So. It's true. I just think um, the reason I would say that is because when Undefeated was started, they were already celebrities. Really? They already were at the top of the chain. And... We don't know too many black websites. Mm-hmm. We know plenty of black people. We know the bigs. The bigs have been underground sports kings. We know Dean Man. Davis. We know J.R. Bang. All these people who have been in Chicago media. But it was just Splinter. And as Chicago Splinter. We do our own thing. And so Scott was like, man, we're going to bring people together. And we're going to have, we're going to be talking about everything. I mean, we have soccer articles, football articles. Right, and I saw that I don't too. Want soccer at all. <laughs> but you don't. So you went out and you found someone exactly. who did. Instead of us forcing to talk about it, exactly. I can tell you Messi and God, that's it. That's all I can <laughs> Ronaldo. tell you. Ronaldo, that's it. That's all I can tell you. I know nothing else. <clears throat> and so uh, Scott brought the idea and I said, man. It just was contingent upon how many writers could we get. Mm-hmm. We had friends who specialized in it and they were the first to come up. Uh, but because Scott's even super popular on Twitter, right. and Twitter is a huge, Twitter was, you know, 
you can people have changed their lives through Twitter. Mm-hmm. And so we said, okay, we'll focus on what we know. We'll bring in Chicago culture with, of course, Los Angeles folks, this folks in other countries who write for us. And we'll bring in the knowledge that we have and we'll, you know, try to see if people will enjoy it. And so then when we said sending applications, we got flooded with hundreds of people right. who wanted to write. And that was shopping. And so going through them, we found people who care about what they want to write about. And then it brought in, you know, the different sense of culture. And it was more minority based, more black folks mm-hmm. based. Because you got um, Barstool. Barstool right. is the... It's, it's the white man stuff. Yeah, you know. It's the frat boys, the frat it's, guys. It's, stuff. Exactly. It's the frat boy sports and credit to them. They got their audience and right. people love them. And some stuff I'll say, this is funny. And I look at it on the other stuff, it's like, I can't relate yeah, to it. Some of it is, and yeah. I wanted to create kind of the antithesis of it, which was it's going to be black folks about our culture. That's why it's barber's chat. Right. Because where does the biggest conversation in the barbershop? Life? I just did, I just did my episode with me, with my barber. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I wish you would have been cutting my hair while we were recording just mm-hmm. so we can back and make him more comfortable yeah. with sitting down and talking. And they bring people into that. And that's another thing that I just interviewed another artist. She does uh, like, Weaving, mm-hmm. but she uses a loom and she does fucking like real weave. Like she does that shit. But she did her show where she had uh, hairstylists and people come in getting their hair done in the salon. Mm-hmm. And you can come in and look at all her artwork and you can watch people get their hair done and shit like that. I'm mm-hmm. just like, man, that is a aspect of art, art, being an artist and artistic creativity that a lot of people have never seen before. Mm-hmm. You're also exposing different people to our culture and what happens in those places. Yeah, you know, yeah, you guys yeah. got the shop talk mm-hmm. um, thing. I was just watching that. It's just like, man, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. And it's it's similar to the barbershops that I've been to as a shorty. It's just like, it's not yeah. it's not too dirty. It's not too clean. It's, it's Chicago. It's grungy. Yeah. You know, like that environment. Mm-hmm. You know, where the idea come for that? I think that was uh, Larry. Larry is legend on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, him and Rico. Uh, the, the funny, some of the funniest things I know. Dude. <laughs> like every episode, like I edit out at least two hours of every episode. <laughs> some stuff is just too problematic to put on there. They just they can go for hours. And him and Scott. Scott is Scott is a creative genius, and I, I'll say that because mm-hmm. Scott Scott networks with people, and then he'll come to me and say, "What do you think about this?" And I'll say, "That's dope. Mm-hmm. That's not my area of expertise." Like we're gonna start talking about like on the website like scholarly stuff. Then I put my input. I, I don't. I can't relate to the creative side. And so my brother was talking to Larry and and said, "Yo, we need a video, a video that." Right. So it's like um, um, similar to once again the undefeated. We love the undefeated. Even we love Barstool too for right. what they have. And video is a huge component mm-hmm. if you're going to have a, you know a media website. I was like, if it's going to be barber chair, shooting in a barber shop. I mean, what's more natural right. than what sure we're talking about? And so like, we just got to find a barber. And so Larry was like, bro, we got to go mine. Uh, it was on 103rd, right off Halstead. Uh, I can't think of the name at the moment. But he was like, we'll shoot it in there. We'll have guests. And we'll do it monthly. And I said, that's going to be a fire right. idea. And I went to Columbia for film school. So okay. this is my secondary thing that I love to do. And then my homie Bernie, who I went to high school with, does film now. He is at Flashpoint uh, Film School. So we said, that's perfect because this is once again my area of expertise. I can contribute and then Larry is connected to everybody mm-hmm. uh, in the city um, and he knows so many people. His cousin is BJ Chicago kid. Oh, so wow. he can go through him and just get him. He did a lot of different people. Exactly. And so, and then Rico, him and Rico, they knew each other before we knew uh, Larry and 
because they banter well. Scott was like, "You all need to be the host because they wanted to know what I be the host." I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm not the only. I'm not the facial personality. Right. I can do podcasts, but you all are better than me. Mm-hmm. And plus, you would know more people. And you could probably contribute better. So we got them together. In the first episode, he's like, "Put the barbers on. Like, what more could we do to put your barbers on there?" And yeah, it just it, it flew naturally. It was perfect. Yeah. Um, but I, I, the one thing I didn't get to check out was the film component of the website, and mm-hmm. that's uh, barberschairdigital.com. Mm-hmm. What are you guys doing with that aspect of it? Well, you know, what we really just want to do is Shop Talk is the first thing, and then we're going to have Shop Talk in different cities, Okay. which uh, um, um, I can't say at the moment, because Scott, of course, was, was keeping everything under wraps, right. so we're, we're going to expand more to other cities. <clears throat> Uh, you know, from then, you know, we just try to want to have, uh, once you try to have one on interviews with artists, mm-hmm. with um, athletes, um, because another one of them is the bigs, uh, Terrence and Gino, they have been doing, I mean, they'll be in backstage, back uh, uh, with the Cubs, they'll be with the White Sox right. interviewing, and so eventually we'll see what we can wind up in, but right now it's Shop Talk, and um, yeah, you know, see where it goes, you know I mean? We talked about putting film, short films and stuff like up there, spotlighting other people. So, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But what about you, man? Like, what 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 makes Joe Joe when it comes to this whole thing? I know you said the podcasting thing is more your style, mm-hmm. and then the videography type of aspect of things. You know, what makes you like? Let's talk about your contribution and mm-hmm. what's the what is your method with putting things together because. Uh-huh. You got everybody else contributing different ideas, mm-hmm. and then you bring it to life. That's what it sounds like to me. Maybe I'm wrong. No, that's, that's, Maybe I'm giving you too much credit. <laughs> I don't know. No, no. That's um, B. I'm always a behind the scenes person. Mm. Even being on podcast at first was uncomfortable. Scott, naturally, <laughs> Scott is in the forefront. That's just what he does. Right. Me, I like to just be in the background. I'm like I'm not that much attention, but I'm technical. So like I can work Final Cut, Garage Band. Pro Tools, all those things when yeah. I went to school. So I contribute by editing the stuff down, getting it up on the site, um, and just bringing in a, a love of, of certain topics we talk about. Um, because when I am, when I love a topic, it's easy for me to engage to it. So what I really contribute with is just the technical stuff, shooting, I film and edit. I feel, well, Bernie films, I edit, uh, shop talk. Um, I record all of pretty much a good chunk of my podcast. Three of them. So I have a third pick with Mariano Stan. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Bottle Lie. Um, that was was that it? There's another one I do with my homie Bernie Phantom Narrative, which is just basically you know like <coughs> film, film stuff. We've only recorded one episode because we got busy schedules, but right. yeah, that's you know that's what I bring to. I just I enjoy the technical aspect, being in the background. It's cool with me, and then like eventually we'll get into the on our website. We'll get into the philosophical stuff which I I mean but that's another, that's another thing too is just mm-hmm. that's why I think I am right now is like even when you do a stand up you're mm-hmm. finding a way to appeal to different people mm-hmm. and what better way than not only attacking but uh, breaking down culture and mm-hmm. the stereotypes that we all have and mm-hmm. different things like like that and that's the flows Eric Dyson coming out you know <laughs> and I think it's funny that they give you shit about it I'm like no nah, he really be saying some real shit yeah. like, it's stuff that we really need to think about but I just, I've just been like that since a kid I just never expressed it until I got older mm-hmm. and then I got older I realized okay I enjoyed some scholarly stuff quote unquote right I mean uh, is it scholarly stuff or is it shit that we really need to hear some it's just stuff we need to hear it's just always labeled as this is scholarly mm-hmm. but everybody can get into it if they care enough 
and my father is, I mean, he's getting a doctorate himself right now. Wow. Uh, he's getting his doctorate and his PhD in missiology, which missions and evangelism mm-hmm. and philosophy and things like that in the church. And so he's doing that. And I naturally, like my mother is more of a, she can bring people together. She's creative. Right. My brother took on that. My right. father is the thinker, is the, is the, you know, he can extrapolate and do these things. And I got that from him. And so, you know, with me, that's why I prefer to be in the background. On Twitter, I can get into my right, own little funny. where I'll extrapolate on things like, hold on now, this is dumb, this is illogical. And then when we get on our our, uh, our podcast, I'm like, okay, let's talk serious about this for a mm-hmm. second. And that's just, as I got older, I realized it's who I am. Right. I just naturally, for some reason, gravitate toward it. So yeah, that's uh, that's really my contribution. And as, as the website furthers, we'll start to dive into more of those topics. I mean, we have touched on you know stuff like the Parkland shootings and things mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, now I think, you know, some of the barriers of culture and the norms, even when talking about sports, you know, like women's mm-hmm. sports, of course, Candace Parker hooping. I'm like, she ain't going to hoop on nobody. Right. And all of a sudden, she starts destroying us. You know, and, of course, they, it's it considered misogynist, but we, we're geared toward that. And, you know, in Western culture, to be like, eh, men will do everything. Right. And I'm not going to expect a woman to ball me up. And if she come on the court and she could drop 90 on anybody. So, yeah, I, I, I bring my input in flows of Eric Dyson. I don't know how Scott Brandably will call it. It's funny, but, it's, it, but in, the, in the essence of everything that we're talking about, like you said, we're socialized to be a certain way. We're socialized to have this idea. And the people are like, oh, no, that's just the way that I am. It's like, no, dog. Like, somebody told you to think like that, and you've yeah. been thinking like this for your entire life. Mm-hmm. You just didn't pay attention to the thought yeah. process of it, but it's there. And even like with me being in college, it was more so about just learning sports, the culture of sports, and then taking the outside culture that we have. That's, you know, that's my thing now. I'm just attacking the word culture. I don't know why we use it so much. And it's not what people said it was when I was in U.S. history. It's it's not the shit that they taught us, but it's intertwining all those things together. When you're talking about gender and Mm -hmm. sexuality, they all intersect when you talk about sports. Mm -hmm. But then we move out to the outside world, and it's just like, no, they're separate. No, no, they're not. They they all go together still. So. I appreciate the uh, rants sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you give. Yeah. But, I mean, when you talk about, like, gun violence and all that stuff like mm-hmm. that, and stuff that happens around us in Chicago, mm-hmm. I actually have something I want you to try to take a look at, see what you think about later. But, okay. um, you know, how do you feel about putting those guns and stuff in the schools that oh, the right God. thing is <laughs> the right idea? And I only say that is because... Those motherfuckers don't know about the guns outside of our environment. It's, <laughs> you know what, man? It's such, it's weird because I think one of the greatest quotes is those who fail to remember history are doomed mm-hmm. to repeat it. And I feel like American society just does not pay attention to history. Thinking that if we put more guns in the world, we're going to somehow be safer. I'm like, <laughs> you're going to turn this into the 18 and 1900s in the Wild West. <laughs> And that was one of the bloodiest histories ever. It's not, it just turns more chaos. Right. And when I hear these things, and that's the thing about Twitter, which I love and hate. Twitter gives everybody a voice. That's a pro. The con, Twitter gives everybody, everybody a voice. voice. It's good and bad because people's voices can be elevated. And it's like, that's not really logically a smart thing to say. Or it's just, it's, we're conditioned, mm-hmm. socially conditioned. You know, even with religion, me studying theology, I'm socially conditioned to some of those things. Right. I took time when I was an adult to say, do I believe you, any of this? I mean, but it's not, it's not, so we're talking about religion and like 
God or Allah and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation with someone. I even put it on Twitter yesterday. It was just like, um, it's, it's not the idea of God that would bother me. It's the idea that you would believe in it and not think that you have any part in what God is doing with you and mm-hmm. through you. You know what I'm saying? So like Kanye was like, I am a guy. Like everybody's like, oh, that's crazy. It's like, no, dog, when you really think about it, you can control a lot of the things that you do. Mm-hmm. You can control, you can make a child with uh, someone else. And, mm-hmm. or, you know, you know that is almost like creation, you mm-hmm. know? So it's just, it's just breaking down the men, the mental capacity for some people to say, okay, mm-hmm. now I can, I can get it to relate to you and I by saying it this way. But yeah, but like, the, the things about the gun in school is like, I don't really think that's going to work because some people go to school to get away from people with guns. So. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. It's always the reason, and I, it may seem hard to other people, the reason it's gained popularity is because it's happened to white people. Mm. That's just the truth. Yeah, these Parkland kids are, these are mainly white people. Mm-hmm. And because it's happening to them now, it's Now it's a problem. Or the like one of the crisis. biggest things that rubbed me the wrong way is a lot of the Parkland, uh, with the protests where hands up, don't shoot. I get it. I get it. You know, you do not want to be shot. But when we talk about that, it's about police shooting us. Mm-hmm. Gun laws will do nothing to change that. Right. They can lawfully carry guns and lawfully murder. Mm-hmm. You're talking about taking the hands away out of people who can't legally hold it, right. which I'm cool with that. But it becomes sort of a co-op thing or, and it sort of eroded like that. And I, it's like with the, the opiate opioid crisis. Now it's a big deal because my white folks people been getting destroyed at that. My, my, I will go home. I will go to my folks' house and we'll talk about that. Like when they first had a medicine that reversed the effects of heroin, my mother was really in it and was like, "So now they got medicine to help heroin." Mm-hmm. What happened when we were getting hit with heroin? We were getting hit with crack. All these things. It was just, oh, these people are just savages and they morally bankrupt. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, when this happened to little Tommy and we Susie, we gotta do something about. We gotta it. change something, and it's just that's the inherent. Racism in America that you know we they you know since it's affecting them it's a big issue mm-hmm. and you know respect to the Parkland kids I'm not gonna put anything on their shoulders for not knowing that they're 17 16 then the nuances of society might not be might not have developed just yet some of them it seems like it does but I respect them for protesting and right. doing that before America it just shows that once it happens to white folks and it's like okay yeah, it's a problem yeah then it's a problem now. but then again when we talk about those kids I tweeted the other day like man. I'm not trying to be political, but these kids are really political. And when we're talking about different politicians, like the uh, the next president of the United mm-hmm. States, you know, with the administration we have today, I, like, I really hope America is like, <laughs> impeached, uh, arrested. But those kids are really political. Like, not being political, but they're being political. And if I think if politicians want to make change and they want to make sure that they do, do the right thing when it comes to voters. The next, those are the next kids coming up to vote. That's very true. And if they aren't paying attention to them, then I don't really know what we can really do about that because mm-hmm. they go fuck up a lot of shit for some people. Like that's that's the thing. Like when you talk about Trump, and you talk about all the things that the administration was perpetuating. You know the propaganda and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like okay, your plan to win this whole thing was to hold on to people who probably go die in the next eight to five years. So, like, that's not a long-term plan. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, I've, it's funny. I had, um, when I used to take Aikido, uh, the martial, martial art, I had uh, a fellow student with me. I think his name was James. He was around 60 years old. Mm-hmm. And he was like, man. And it randomly, we were at McDonald's waiting on Sensei Rick to get out. And he was like, and he just said, look back and said, when my generation dies, the world will be a better place. 
I'm looking like what? I'm just on my phone, but then I thought, but then I said, hey, make sure. I was like, man, you starting to make a little bit of sense here. He was just like, man, we're selfish, we're stuck in our ways, and but we go out and vote. Mm-hmm. And we control a lot of the assets in the world, in the country, and we control the voting power. And so Trump's audience, a lot of them, are, in 2020, half of them ain't gonna even be That's there. That's what I'm saying. And so <laughs> if his hinging on that, it's gonna last for a little bit, but. At the same time, the younger generation is getting smarter, but then a lot of the younger generation is getting hardcore and extreme, mm-hmm. both sides. You know, people are going far right, people are going far left. And more so, I see the extreme far right kids, the folks who are on Reddit, the folks who are on 4chan, who will sit in blogs and write the most heinous and hateful things, and then, once again, they know hacking and things of that right. sort. So uh, the next generation is more politically minded, which is a pro and a con in itself, because... They will be, but well, we, I guess we say, will be controlling that uh, because them kids are a lot more politically sound than I was. Right, I was but when I was seventeen, though, my whole mind was just like, get to college and just graduate, my nigga. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, cause I don't. I think we we both came from solid households, but I think my mom might have got like her associates from DePaul or something like that. So it, it wasn't like. College was in the scenario for me, like, but it's like, nigga, this is what you're going to do because I couldn't get there. But like, you guys did have your parents who mm-hmm. were college educated and everything like that. And that's another thing too. Our generation is also college educated, yeah. and and I think also going to perpetuate the idea of not just going to be a worker every day. Yeah, you know, yeah. and that's this thing that scares me a little bit because a lot of people are not cut out for it. Mm-hmm. And that's the part of what this show is about is just getting the idea that people are creative and they're following their dreams and they're getting paid by following their dreams. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to put in that work to mm-hmm. do that? Are you willing to take the punches in the face that you could get all the no's you go here and shit yeah. like that to continue to keep going? Now, I don't know if that means that we're more mentally fortified than other generations, mm-hmm. but yeah, man, I mean, I feel like it's going to be a huge culture shift and I'm ready for it. I don't know about you, but I just want to, you know, get your take on that. You know, I think our generation re- reached an important intersection between technology and literally the generations that came before us. Like, my grandfather, never met him, but mm. from what I know, stoic man, probably never told my father he loved him one time. <laughs> it just was he went to work, he provided for the family, right. that was it. It was never follow your dreams or anything like that. Then my father's generation after that, where it was a little bit of both. Take care of your family. Pursue if dreams. You can if do you that. can pursue your dreams. And then because, you know, it's human history is always a circle. It always goes like that. And eventually there will be a time in the future where it'll be provide for your family, take care of them, that's it. But we're at that point now where we have access to so many things. We have technology that reaches across borders. And we there are so many things we can do. I mean, in the... If we're looking back and we're sitting in 4000 BC, the concept of following dreams was yeah, like probably about to get that right. Exactly, <laughs> the concept of following dreams was I'm going to be a goat herder or something like that. That was it. But now that we have so many access to things, we can say, "Ooh, I wouldn't mind doing that. I wouldn't mind doing that." So as human history progresses, we've gotten more creative, mm-hmm. and there are more things for us to pursue. So our generation has access to things that my grandfather, my grandfather wouldn't even know what he was looking at. He saw a cell phone. So like he died when I was barely one. So the point where we're at right now is we have access to many things and we can choose what we want to. We're not the generous is gonna say, just work and do work your life away. We're like, no, like me, I'm not gonna work my life away. I don't wanna do that. <laughs> you know, it's like like well my mother, she enjoys teaching. She just recently retired, but oh, she man, enjoyed it to correct. a point. 
to a point. That was not her her dream. Right. My father, however, being in the ministry, the pastoral ministry, that was his his purpose. That's what and he do. found his purpose. So now that my mother's retired, it's the happiest I've ever seen in my life. Because she joins my father because pastoral ministry also is her dream. Okay. And so that's when I realized because I spent 25, 26, doing nothing. I just worked. I was like, man, just almost depressed. Like, this is not what I want to do. But that's that's kind of the the mode that we were brought up in, in a way. G. Like, motherfucker never told me in, mm-hmm. in high school, like, oh, you can own your business. And this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, you can own your business. Or more so, it was, you can be a CEO of a company. You can get a job. And you can go to college, get yeah. a nine to five. You know? And I think that's the the idea that I'm happy about is that our generation gets to perpetuate the other side of that. Yeah, that's a that's another thing about inherent white supremacy, colorism, <laughs> and racism is that white kids are told that they can so own like, do whatever they want to do. I have my homie Joe. He's 21, so he's about six years younger than me. I met him at the job when I was working at AMC, and. I mean, his family is pretty nice. I mean, they built their own house. Right. That's just unheard of for me. Right. We saw you. We built this five years ago. I said, nigga, what? You Y'all built, built this? It? I said, hold up, what? And the funny thing is, is their house on their block, tiny compared to everybody else. Right. There's a mansion two houses down. Mm-hmm. But they were always taught, you can do these things, you can do these things. And it was not necessarily in school that taught them, but the family did. Right. And so one of the things that I really want to do myself, like I told my parents, you retire, give me a house. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to finish paying off it, and then I'm going to fix it up, and then probably seg- segment into an apartment. I'm going to own property. Right. And, one, and that's what now, the air parts are like Bronzeville. When people, they were trying to gentrify Bronzeville, black people came out and bought property <laughs> exactly. like that. My homie Rico, uh, his pastor bought so many of the apartment complexes with the church and provided uh, low-income housing for people, people because they were trying to gentrify like crazy, like Inglewood. Dude, when I look back and I drive on 63rd and I go to Halstead and I see a Whole Foods, that's, a Chipotle. I, I never thought that would ever happen. You know, I, I said, what? And that's the whole thing. I, we were never taught about owning business. That's the thing that I think technology has helped because I'm like, I can own property and own my business too. And I do it because black people need an economic base upon mm-hmm. which to stand. And so that is the greatest thing I think we have access to is in teaching the generation that will expose you. Exactly. That will raise and that will give birth to us and tell them <clears throat> you can do anything that anyone else can. Anyone else can. Instead of you can go hoop, you can come rapping, you can come entertainer. I mean, you can do all those things if you, you want. You still to. can. But there are more avenues than that. Exactly. And that's where that's another thing where I thought I'd never fit in because I was like, I was a high school, I said, I'm going to be D1 football. What's not going to happen? I mean, it's cool. It's like, great. I, like, I, I would have loved to play D1 like you played But D1. listen, bro, like, that's the thing, bro, is just talking to people about that shit. But they don't know, like, it's like a job. True. So when people would ask me, like, how you get up and go to work every day when you was just playing ball doing this? Like, like, my nigga, I was doing that. Like, we have, I'll never forget, we got a new coach, and he was like, all right, we practicing in the morning. I'm like, okay, we'll practice in the morning. I mean, classes in the afternoon. He's like, no, we practice in the morning. It's 6 a.m. practice in the morning. Mm. So you ain't going out kicking it oh, yeah. the night before. You ain't really getting that college experience that other people will because you got to be at practice yeah. at 6 a.m. So that translates to make sure your ass gets to work yeah. <laughs> at 8, 9 in the morning yeah. because you're used to getting up. You know what I'm saying? And even to the fact where you can do something wrong and your scholarship is only renewed for one year. Mm. So each year you're on campus, your scholarship is renewed. So it's okay. Your freshman year, you're cool. Your sophomore year, cool. Junior year, your senior year, right? Mm-hmm. Say you're redshirt, okay? We get a new coach. Coach don't really know who you are. You don't fit his scheme. Guess what he can say? 
I'm not bringing you back next year. Mm. Damn, coach, I ain't even got all my credits. You got to find another school. We'll find a school for you to go to. But you can't go to school in our conference, nor can you go to school in our division. No, first, you can't go to school in our division, nor can you go to school in our conference. So you need to find somewhere else to go. Mm -hmm. But you only have me a major, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you see what I'm saying? You got to put all this shit in. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because when I remember seeing you for the first time, I'm like, 10, 15, yeah, some years, it was at, uh, what concert was that? That was Kendrick. That was Kendrick's concert. That's like the first thing I asked was, nigga, you play D1 football? He was like, man, that ain't about nothing. And I thought to myself, people must ask you a lot, what was it like playing D1 football? I mean, football? it's fun. It was great. Like, like I tell people about that. Or even one episode I did with my boy Arthur, mm -hmm. you know, being a Division one athlete is sort of like the most visible, invisible thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Because you're only known for playing football on campus. True. And then when you go into the classroom, I've just been in conversations with people. They're like, oh, well, this athlete was in my class. They was dumb as this. And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hold up. First of all, that's my teammate. Second of all, damn, like, that's how you feel. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, that's what you own? So it does, it's not like it was a bad experience. I enjoyed every every aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But it's something that a lot of people aren't cut out for. Yeah. And, it's, and, and that's not even coming down to the basis of talent when you talk mm -hmm. about it. Some people I know were some of the best players and just couldn't get it together for some reason. Yeah. They didn't have it, you know, and mm -hmm. it's like, damn, just to watch that talent just get wasted away or they just fuck up. And you, you really feel bad for them because those kids don't get those degrees. Mm -hmm. They, yeah, you know, shit like that, man. It's like a lot of the onus is on you to make it work. Unless yeah. you at uh, SEC school, you know, hey man, I'm here. We talk about Alabama. I'm here for these three years. Mm -hmm. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, yeah, yeah. but but that's ideal, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's okay because that's what that's what the system has taught people to do. That's mm -hmm. what the system is made for, you know. Yeah. And again, dude, it's it's, it's really. It's fun, you enjoy it, it's a great experience, it's a great opportunity, but you also got to look at the pros and the cons of the whole situation. Mm -hmm. You get hurt, you might never play again. Yeah. I got a buddy, well, he had a couple of concussions, and it was just like, all right, well, you can't play anymore, so mm -hmm. we need to figure out what you go do. Mm -hmm. oh, well, we used to call it the golden ticket. You could, you could get a scholarship, and you'll be hurt, you can't play no more, but you get to go to school. Yeah. Some coaches come in and be like, nah, you go work the equipment room, you go watch jerseys, you go do, like, how demoralizing is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you gotta think about the psychology of that whole shift, mm. but yeah, man, I, I mean. You know, it's, you know, going back into, you know, it's not a conditioning, but uh, the avenues that you believe that this was the only thing you could do growing mm -hmm, up. Mm -hmm. And football, sports, media, all these things are what I visibly saw or working my life away. Mm -hmm. That's just what I thought. Like, um, my father would first work to DePaul. Eh, he never, it, was, it was there. You know, it was here for him. And then our past, the past of four, told Pops, like, you know, Elson, are you ready? You ready? I, you ready? I know you're going to come to the ministry. My Pops was like, what are you talking about? And then he felt the call and he pursues his dream. And I always saw my folks, one half, my father pursuing his dream, my mother mm -hmm. doing something she enjoyed but was not passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so, me and my brother slowly but surely started saying, uh, I don't want to just work my life away. We want to do other things, things outside of the things that we're conditioned to. Right. And I think that's what it comes down to parenting. Mm. And I think that's what our generation can provide to the generation we give birth to is you can do more than just either work your life away or being media, athlete, rapper. Right. You can do more than that. Uh, and that's the thing that I learned on my own. I learned the hard way because I spent a good chunk of my 20s just working. It was just, oh, but everybody does it. You working, you paying off college loans mm -hmm. and all that shit. But see, like I that, never bro. had a plan after that. My uh -huh. plan was just 
work and then I'll be a manager. Like it was a girl I went, I worked at Best Buy with. I got her name, but she went to Roosevelt, got her degree. I was it. Then she said I'll just be a manager at Best Buy. I was like, man, you got a whole degree. Like, what are we doing with it? But the the reality of it is, a lot of people aren't really working in the degrees either. The thing is, she she just said, well, I just was going to get it because you know my family didn't get. It. I said, you know, you didn't have no plans with it. She's like, no. I was like, man. I thought to myself. I guess that's just what I'm gonna do with my criminal justice degree. Oh my, actually my film degree at the time. I was like, I'm just gonna, you know, do it. Maybe I'll get into film. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not. And I'll just work. And I thought to myself, man, oh, when I gotta do something I wanna do, and that's why I left Columbia and I went to Roseville okay. and started doing criminal justice. I said, I'll be a cop. I'll be a police officer. Then I, yeah, after I graduated, I was like, I don't wanna be a cop either. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I was, I was really into it, man. I got down to, I'm like 300 now. I got down to 230. Mm-hmm. I was in the best shape of my life. I was fast. I could lift. And I was training for all these police applications. I had no clue it'd take two years. So yeah. I graduated in 2014. I applied for the state troopers. I didn't hear from the state troopers until February mm-hmm. of last year. And by that time, dude, I had gained all that way back. I feel that test. I failed that state police test horribly. But then I said, I don't want to do this either. And so I said, well, you know what? I'll spend time trying to figure out what I want to do. I'm going to hold a job down because I'm not going to be broke. Right. But I'll spend time figuring out what I want to do. And then as I've had, and that's the thing, I was blessed to do that because my parents had solid jobs and they could help me mm-hmm. along the way. If they didn't, I wouldn't have that option. Right. And so I look at a lot of folks that are who, who uh, we live around and they didn't have, they don't have that option. And so they just have to work and provide. And then maybe along the way they figure it out. And so that's something that I hope in black communities, we can pursue our dreams and hopefully make enough to where we can allow our kids to go through that period of working, finding out what they want to mm-hmm. do in hopes that they can spend their life <clears throat> doing something they're passionate about. I think the idea is to perpetuate the idea of both being a possibility. Mm-hmm. When, when, when you've been, I've been in conversations with people and talking to like athletes and stuff like that. It's like, it's cool that you are very good at athletics right now. That's what you're really good at. Mm-hmm. To be even more blunt, I remember being in a meeting room and the coach telling us, you playing like shit, blah, blah, blah. What are you concerned with right now? What's important? You can't go. He's like, wait, is it girls? Is it, is it this? Is it that? You can't go and make sacks for 20 more years after this. Mm-hmm. You can always go get some pussy for 20 more years after this. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But that's, I think it's the language and the way that we convey the message to different people. Mm-hmm. And that resonated with you right away when I said it. You see what I'm saying? It's like, maybe it's the way that we're teaching these things or whatever, you know. I don't know what it is, but it, that idea that you have to just get a job and that's it, it shouldn't be that. Yeah. And when we talk about life, you always, like you said, the, the culture goes in certain cycles, you know. The, the economy goes in cycles. So why wouldn't your life go in a positive cycle? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, like you just said, you, you wanted to do the police officer thing and didn't work out. He's like, you know what? I don't want to do that. So now you're back at square one saying, what do yeah. I want to do next? Yeah. Do I have a job? I do have a job. I can teach you to do something. What else do I want? I want to try this. Out. Okay, I could try that. Uh, that don't work out either. Okay, now, yeah. am I working? I'm still working. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> I used to look at, because when I went to Roosevelt, I had people in my classroom who were 40, 50, 60, 70. And I thought to myself, I, I never wanted to be that person. Dude, I thought to myself, <laughs> no, I ain't never going to be 60 figuring out my life. Then I, as I got older, I said, at least they knew mm-hmm. they wanted to do something. There are people like my grandfather who never had that chance. Mm-hmm. And both of my grandfathers, my grandfather died of, uh, my mother's father died of a heart attack when she was 18. 
And I'm pretty sure he was due to working literally his too life. Much. He had three jobs for 20-something years. <laughs> My mother saw him you know, in, in bits and pieces, pieces because he had to provide for him. And I'm sure he had goals and aspirations because on weekends, he would get his cigarettes, he'd get his liquor, he'd go downstairs and just... That's it. Just, just rest. To, it's like when we watch it, I watched the movie Fences with a white friend of mine. Oh, my God. He sat there and was like... This is how it is. This is what it's like being black. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's like, yo, but this is just groundbreaking. I was like... Sounds like the story of my grandfather, nigga. This don't sound like that. I know somebody that lived that. I'm dude. like, bro, this don't sound like that crazy. But what happens when you look at the movie and he gets his look and he chills because that is his time to not work his life away. And that's what happened with my grandparents. And I think that's what pushed my parents to try to do something more, more. to try to be more of themselves. And as an adult, I thought to myself, it's great to provide for your family. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to go until I'm thinking I have to get married, I have to do this, I have to do that. There are basic core principles that I religiously will stand by. But outside of that, I want to do something where I'm useful and passionate. Because if I'm 27 now and I spend 30 years working at Best Buy, which is, which is fine. Because my general manager at Best Buy loved what he did. There's nothing wrong. He loved, he loved every part of it. Everything not for everybody, though. Exactly. And I, but that's the idea that we have to push. Yeah. We have to push that. Yeah. <laughs> and, see, and that was the thing I, you know, I was getting back to. I, I was forgetting this. These people at 60 and 70 realized they want to at least spend however long they have. However long they're going to be alive doing something they enjoy. And one of the people I went to is somebody named Sean. Uh, He spent 20 years of his life behind bars for second-degree murder. Somebody killed his mother. He killed her. So he retaliated. And so the judge was lenient and didn't give him life, but still got 20 years because it was... It was still technically premeditated. And so he's about 49 years old, and he gets into criminal justice with us. And we didn't know the story, his story. I didn't know his story until I did my, my final paper for class, and we're talking about solitary confinement. So I made it with Sean. I talked to a doctor, Dr. Tom McCoy. She is the head of criminal justice at Roosevelt. She was like, talk to Sean. I was like, what Sean know about solitary confinement? He was like, Little do was, you know. He was like, he was in it. I said, Oh, okay. So I hit him up. He's like, yeah, brother, I'll talk to you about it. And then I'm sitting in this car writing everything down and, uh, and literally recording it. And I can see his eyes just go like, and like twitching and he's remembering everything. And I was like, yo. What did you do? He experienced all of this. And I said, what happened, bro? Like, if I could ask. I won't record it. He said, no, I'll record it. I said, okay. I'll record it. He explained everything. I was like, you spent 20 years of your life behind bars. I said, how do you have the resolve to keep doing what you want to love, doing what you want to do? He was like, because I made this point that I still don't consider a mistake. He said, but I want to spend the rest of my life doing something I don't want to do. That man is in the criminal justice system right now. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he's about to be a lawyer next. Mm-hmm. And that idea that it does not matter what age you are, but at least if you're spending your time doing something you want to do, is far more productive and positive than spending your life doing something that, that you, you don't, don't want to. Or raising a family that you never wanted to have in the first place. And I think putting that message to people, period, will create a better world if you realize if you don't want to get married, don't, don't get married. Do if you want to work at, you know, if you want to be a supervisor at McDonald's, it's perfectly fine. Don't let anybody shame you to doing that what you don't want to do. That's if I'm not, if I'm going to, if I'm, am I going to work it? No, it's not my thing. <laughs> but if you want to go get a PhD, go get a PhD. Like my father, when he told us he was going to get a PhD, I said, what? Why? No one in my family, extended family, friends has that. I said, that's dope. And I thought to myself, man, maybe I can get a master's now. Mm. Because I said, oh my but, but the, the point that seeded that possibility yeah. 
And that's all it really takes sometimes. Sometimes people can do that and do that with negative stuff, mm-hmm. and they can also do it with positive things. True. And that's what I mean with that idea of just saying, this is a possibility for you. But I also know this ne- negative aspect of things is a possibility for you, too. Very so, true. you know, with the system that we live in, mm-hmm. and as black men, it is to the point where, oh, shit, it could go wrong for me. At any any moment in time, mm-hmm. just off of somebody misrecognizing you, or even the police misrecognizing you, yeah, shit like that. I, I I talked to not to cut you off, but I talked to my homie Joe about the police, and we got pulled over by the police. I think we got to Oprah. He lives in Lombard, and he was like, "Joe, you all right?" And I'm just like shaking. My <laughs> hands are my hands are on the dashboard. Joe's sitting there like this with his hands in his pocket, just chilling. I'm sitting with my hands on the dashboard like this, and I'm just shaking. He's like, Joe, you good? I said, I'm fine. The cop rolled, how you doing? And Joe was like, oh, what's up? Like, <laughs> and, I, and the cop put the lights on me. I said, how you doing, officer? Like, how you doing, officer? You good? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm perfectly good. He's like, can I see your ID? I said, okay, officer. I'm, I'm reaching in my pocket. And then Joe was like, what? Joe just reaches in his pocket, tosses, literally tosses the ID at the cop. And I was like, yo, what? It just seemed like... He said, these are aspects of life that I never would ever do. And Joe comes back to me, I think like a week ago, when he was he was researching the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. the disparities, the uh, over-policing. He was like, I can't believe that this happened. He said, some of these cops just are coming like Judge Dredd. Judge. No shit. And we're like, I was like, yeah, I told you about this a long time Dude, ago. I was at a mic on Monday, and one of the guys, the white guy, Tony, he's, he just started out doing comedy, like maybe... Eight nine months ago, he was like, "Yeah, man, like get pulled over by the cops. Why don't you just say no?" What? <laughs> I'm not doing that. I was like, bro, my first my first run in with the police that I remember very vividly, all in a span of like maybe uh, a year or two. When I first got my license, mm-hmm. pulling out from Hubbard High School over there on like 63rd, me and my boy Justin Hickman, like all American linebacker, me like fucking highly talented recruit, all this shit, all in the newspapers and everything. Mm-hmm. Cop come past us on on the side street. And I'm like, Jay, put your seatbelt on because the police go pull us over right now. It's like, no, you're not. What you mean? It's like, bro, I made eye contact with this dude. He looked at me. He looked at you. He's going to pull us over as soon as we turn the Did court. he hit the, the middle of the street? Oh, oh, with a, he, i never seen a cop pull a uh, U-turn with a speed bump in the middle of the block, though. <laughs> like, on the speed bump. Yeah. And pull you over and then ask you what you doing. Why you got your Letterman's jacket on? Why you a block away from the school and shit like that? You know, it's just like... That was mind blowing. Yeah. Or even being pulled over from the police. I remember being like Morgan Park. It's a, it's on like 112, and I think that's Ashland right there. It's like, it's like at Marshfield, yeah, Morgan Park. I don't know the exact address, but I know it's on 112, 111. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a gas yeah. station right there on the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pull out of the gas station. It's a busy street. It's, it's a fairly busy they street. It's a police station around it too now. Truth. Yeah. And I pull out of the gas station, the cop pull up right behind me. Like, what's up, officer? Um, you pulled out of that gas station suspiciously. What? <laughs> In my fucking first car, hoopty, I pulled out of the gas station suspiciously. Like, it's yeah. not like I'm fast and furious out of the gas station. Yeah. But, like, that, that type of shit, like, that, that gets to you, bro. And, like, the fact that I'm almost 30 now, and I still remember that that happened yeah. to me. You know, so yeah. it's a totally different uh, perspective when it comes to that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest way that we can see, like... 
there are things in society that I'm not sure will ever completely change, mm-hmm. such as I over police and I, I pray and I have hopes that it will. But I don't really, I don't logically see it ever being completely to the point where police police is like they do white people. It's not gonna happen. Yeah, I don't no, think. No, I don't think that's a possibility at all. To be honest, so it's like I, I tell like Joe when I got pulled over when I was driving, it almost felt like it was PTSD. Like my mm-hmm. psychologist, Dr. Anderson. Uh, I love a dude. He's sick. He's sick right now, but you know he says a lot of black folks suffer from PTSD. And I was like, really? He was like, he was like, Joe, I'm telling you, I talked to so many. Any place is so normal. Some of exactly. Shit he was like, a lot of them just do not realize it. Mm-hmm. He asked me, how do you feel when a cop pulls you up? I said, terrified. <laughs> he said, what happens to you? I said, my heart, my heart speeds up. I was like, man, I'm, I'm sweaty. I'm, I'm overthinking. He was like, you're having a panic attack. Mm-hmm. That's the component of PTSD. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, but it's true. Whenever a cop pulls behind me. I'm nervous, and well, I can't express that to my wife because he looks like I almost use Joe as a shield. Like, <laughs> please don't shoot me because there's a white man in this car. <laughs> At least think I'm driving him. I would rather you have some sort of stereotypical <laughs> thing in your heart. And so, like, when we get pulled over by CPD, because the first time I was over, over cop, he was a good cop. He was like, "What you? What's going on, man?" He's like, "You obviously were going 90 miles an hour on the street." He was like, "You were racing that charge over there, weren't you?" We were like, he was like, "Yeah." He was like, "Bro." Your Mustang's not fast enough to race this charger. He was like, another cop might have given you a ticket. Just drive slow. Y'all have a good one. I was like, that was okay. Different. I was like, okay. And Joe was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm good. Woo. <laughs> I calmed down. We, we pulled over by CBD. Different story. Mm-hmm. My uncle was a state trooper. He always called CBD cowboys. And they are cowboys. He get pulled over and he was like, what y'all doing around here? I was like, what? I was like, I live here. He's like, where do you live? I was like, down the street. Where's down the street? My house. What's the address? And he starts, he starts, you know how cops, when they get nervous, I was like, oh my God, he's reaching. I was like, 75 and one South Sandwich Cowboy. I'm like, oh my God. He was like, okay, okay. And he was like, you made a legal term right there. I was like, you it pulled me over term, for a legal a term. term. First of all, no, I didn't. <laughs> I knew you just thinking of something. And like expressing it, I think the biggest thing we can do to at least soften the blow is expressing it to, the truth is expressing it to white people. What happens, so they know what happens when change happens is when white people made aware, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. It happens. And it's the truth. And I said, Joe was like, man, this is this is messed up. It shouldn't be this way. I was like, we've all yeah, black folks have felt this since we got here. And we would love for it to be different. And damn, it's, it's the sad reality, but it's not sad to me anymore. I just realized this is human history. It's like this. Maybe there'll be a period when it's not. Maybe there will be. Mm-hmm. When I'm alive, it's not going to change. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm I'm 27. If I live to 80, I doubt anything will be completely different. But for right now, this it's is what we're living. It's better to accept it, adapt to it, than try and then be terrified and not accept it. You know, fight what you can and then move on. Well, I think we've been going for a minute here. Oh shit, that's almost an hour. I didn't even realize that. I but didn't either. <laughs> Just to wrap everything up, this got kind of political. It was creative a little bit. It's oh, cool. yeah. It was just like, I don't know, maybe we just spawned some uh, creative ideas in your head for art, influences, or whatever. But um, mm-hmm. I asked every guest on the show to give a creative or that's starting out, doing something new, figuring out what they want to do, like you said. Mm-hmm. Even three things you would um, you know, give them as, as advice. Uh, one, your situation is completely different from everybody else. The advice anybody, including myself, will give you, 
may apply, it may not apply. Mm. So if someone tells you to do a specific route and it doesn't work, that doesn't mean that it was bad. It just means it, it fit was, them. Uh, you know, it's like the ink block tests in psychology. When they say, what does this look like? Someone says, this is a bird. The other one says, this is a mask. Mm-hmm. Everybody's life is different because we're such a, um, we're dynamic people. So that's the first thing. Secondly, idle time is probably the best time to think about what you want to do. At the same time, you might think about your greatest ideas when you're busy. Mm-hmm. Having something to write, it's a good thing about phones. If you have a creative phone, if you have a phone, Type it down. If you got a note like I, well, I got take a that. notepad. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Taking a notepad, using a stylus. If you have an idea, write it down. If it seems like it's far fetched, that doesn't mean you can attempt it. Would you rather spend your life trying something you want to do or living your life wishing you did something, something you want to do? I don't want to be seventy and think oh, I could have done this. Exactly. It's like it's like it's like my girlfriend. I want to marry her. I'm not gonna spend my time maybe thinking I should have married her and she's off with somebody else. That's not gonna happen. I'm gonna move myself toward that goal. <laughs> so that's my, the first thing is your situation is different. Secondly, ask yourself: Would you rather spend time wishing you did this or spend time regretting that you didn't do this? Because I think that's the biggest thing is when your life is coming to an end and you're full of regret. Mm-hmm. That's just that's not what I want to spend. The third thing is be around people that swallow your pride. Biggest thing I learned in being in, in academia is like I'm around geniuses. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not as smart as them. Maybe I am. I, I came into seminary like I'm the greatest dealer. I'm our youth out here. I walked in, I was like, oh my god, I know nothing. <laughs> These people are like literally geniuses, and I thought to myself, man, this is where I could learn. Swallowing my pride, learning from everybody else, learn from as many people as you can. You can Even learn a five year old. Right. You can learn a lot of things from different people. Man. You can learn several. I'm learning stuff in this. Hour we spent talking about oh, you yeah. and about psychology and about life. Thinking that you learned everything is the biggest mistake right. that I ever made. And I'm 27, so I can try to reverse that. So spend time learning and putting yourself around other people. And the truth is, people will put you on. You know, I always hear about some people, so it's hard work. <laughs> it's definitely hard work, but it's also people putting people in places to succeed. And I don't think it's anything inherently wrong with that. If you're in a Fortune 500 company and you have a friend who you know, is smart with this. You may have someone who sends an application like, yeah, they qualify, but I can trust him because I know his work ethic is good. Mm-hmm. He'll get the job done. I don't know if this, this person will. His resume looks good, but he'll pull up his friend and he'll do it. It may seem, in some cases, it's abuse. In some cases, it's not. But don't be, don't be ashamed of the power of someone putting you on. Mm-hmm. And then when you get in that place, do not forget to help someone man, else. Man, always pay it forward, man. And, and I think... The biggest thing is like uh, on Twitter, uh, his, name is, his name is Kaz, <clears throat> real life Kaz. Kaz, oh my God. Oh, BuzzFeed, he made the stash. And he came on our podcast. And I was like, I'm surprised he came on. I'm like, but he's a humble person. He's a genius. The dude is creative and he's just amazing. And he still came on our podcast. And we nobody, we're, we say we're not statusly, we're not where he is in his status. But he came out show because he enjoyed it. And I was like, that's the type of person I wanted to be if I ever get to get right. to that point. If I'm ever revered in academia, I want to make sure that I'm helping somebody that I, I, that I um, believe could be to where I am. Because I think living a life full of pride and full of just self-righteousness or full of just, you know, know it all. homelessness and know-it-all, it's not a life worth living. Because if you think, that even the concept of I know everything is illogical. Because how do you know when you know you know everything? You know, it's, it's getting to that point. So I think humility to a point. And there's nothing wrong with bragging. There's nothing wrong with, you know. It's being like, proud of your accomplishments. It's nothing wrong with being proud of your accomplishments. It's like when folks see people celebrate. Like, 
uh, was it Marquez King? Marcus King, the punter on mm-hmm. the, the Raiders, recently got released. He is a top three best punter in the league. Bears, but please go get him. Oh, my God. Please pick him up. It's such an asset. And he's an amazing athlete. <laughs> so, if he misses a punt, he can actually run. Um, John Gruden fired him probably because he was a personality. A lot of people do not like to see black people express themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's the stupidest thing out of it. Express yourself in the way that you want to express yourself. I do say add a little sprinkle of, of, of humidity. It's like salt, babe. Sprinkle a little humidity on it. <laughs> and I think you will succeed because don't be to the point where you can never just interact with right. people. Then you're in a, you're in the least. So those are my three tips. It's a lot, but I hope I condensed it enough. All right. And then another thing I ask, where are you right now on the Kanye confidence level? And what that means yeah. is you're going to rate your confidence on what you're doing, what what project you guys have going on right now from college dropout to life of pop. That's a, that's actually like a, a dope uh, rating scale. Oh, man, thanks, man. Because you really – can you do that with any other artist? Not really. I don't think anybody, any other artist, you can do a scale like that. I can't think of it. I would say I'm like late registration to graduation, Kanye. I think so. You're the first tweener we've had on the show right now, so I fucks with that. <laughs> so that's what I would be. Uh, you know, it's the so this all I had the college dropout when you first jumping on. Mm-hmm. And it's the late registration. I'm like, okay, I have some talent, and I'm going to try to, you know, keep this going. Exactly, keep it going. Expound upon this talent. I'm right at <laughs> I'm right at that in between level. That's mm-hmm. what I would say. That's that's a, that's a, that's actually an amazing skill. All right, I appreciate that, man. And the last thing I'm asking everybody, I still listen to Arian Foster, check out his podcast. Mm-hmm. But I'm asking everybody, everybody that comes on the show to ask Mr. Kanye West to come on the podcast so I can interview him. So <laughs> would you do that for your boy? Yo, I would say Kanye, if you listen to this, come back to Chicago, get yourself a six piece. <laughs> Sit down with my homie George. First of all, go I know you're gonna go to the Heralds on 103rd. I see your plaque in there, bro. <laughs> Go ahead and get you some heralds. Just stop by over here, sit down with my man Jordan, and you can land whatever you want to right. talk about. You can even talk to you, talk about yourself in the third person. Bro. On top of that, you're Kanye. You can get <laughs> you can get on somebody's podcast who they just started a day ago, and it's going to pop off, and it's going to be big. You're Please Kanye. and thank you, sir. Please and thank you. <laughs> sure. But again, Joe, I appreciate it, man. Thank you, and that's all I got. about it i mean and appreciate you tune it in if you like it tell a friend if you don't like it tell a friend maybe they'll be like what you talking about i'm gonna go check it out on my own but if you also know some people that you think that might want to be on the show let me know too man i mean i feel like it's one of these things where like i said i'm getting into my groove i'm getting into my groove and i'm really starting to enjoy working um on this project and just getting interesting people on the show, man. Uh, if you want to check out barberschairdigital.com, head out over, head right over there. It's, it is. It's just exactly like how I just said it. Barberschairdigital.com. And you'll be able to check out Joe and uh, Scott's site and, you know, listen to uh, 
uh, a few of the podcasts they have over there, check out a few of the articles that they have going on. I mean, I'm really impressed by what they've done and really think that what they're doing is a really great thing. I'm just happy for them, man. I mean, it's one of those things, like I said, it's, it's great to see people you know doing some awesome things. Um, also, if you want to follow Joe, you can follow him at Foes Andolini on uh, Twitter. And uh, also follow his uh, podcast page, 79th and Howlers, over there as well. I think he's got about two or three more other shows he's on, too, man. So it's like, if you want to support him, support him, man. If you check out his IG page or his, uh, not his IG page, his Twitter page, you'll be able to get all the information I just uh, read off to you right there. Also, don't forget that we also have a sponsor, uh, Ladies Summertime's Coming. You might want to get some new gear, a, a, new, a new sundress or whatever. Shop SMZ.com. To pick up some new stuff heading into the spring and the summer. Anything you may looking to pick up for a night out or something like that. You'll find a collection of jewelry, clothing, and self-esteem. I hope that read well. Um, I'll listen to it on the playback. But I think it was pretty dope. But if you use the code JAB, capital JAB, you get 15% off any order. If you use the code JAB2, you get $20 off orders over $100. Let me know what you think about the show, guys. Check out the website for the clothes. Check out the website at Barbershare Digital. And, uh, yeah, man, don't forget to subscribe and review. Tell a friend. Or don't. You know? Don't forget to also follow us on Twitter and IG. At It's Your World Pod. Underscore. At It's Your World Pod. Underscore. And that's I-T-S-U-R, world, P-O-D, underscore. And you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at it's I-T-S-J-O-R-D-A-I-N, the I means I'm black, B-R-U-H, underscore. And just, uh, yeah, man, just um, let me know what you think, man. Appreciate it. That's all I got. I'm out.